Chapter 7 of My Travels, A Family Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My Travels, A Family Story by Maria Hackett. Chapter 7. On the 31st day of August, 1854, we left Liverpool in the steamship City of Philadelphia of the Inman Line commanded by Captain Robert Leach. We had been delayed for two weeks in Liverpool, owing to an accident happening to the steamer on her trial trip in the Clyde. It was to be her first trip, and she was one of the finest vessels ever built by the Inman Line, who have so many elegant steamships. The day of departure was a beautiful one, and as we stood on the deck during the passage down the Mersey, we were in high spirits. Everything augured a prosperous and speedy voyage, the passengers were all delighted, and as the weather was fine and the sea smooth, but little seasickness was experienced. After passing the coast of Ireland, rough weather was experienced, and the number of promenaders on deck and eaters at the table was very sensibly diminished. The voyage was without incident until the 7th of September. We had neared the banks of Newfoundland, and, as usual in that locality, were in a dense fog. About twelve o'clock we were awakened by a terrible crash, and some of us were thrown from our berths. We all rushed upstairs as fast as possible, only to find the saloon filled with terrified passengers of both sexes, who, in their anxiety to learn the cause of the accident, had hurried up without losing any time in changing their clothes, suited only to the privacy of their staterooms. The scene was a terrible one, and our consternation was added to by the report that the ship was sinking. Mothers were shrieking for their children, husbands looking for members of their family, all praying fervently and bidding eternal adieus. One of the officers at this juncture calmed us by saying that there was no danger, and informed us that the ship had struck on a rock supposed to be Cape Race, and had backed off without sustaining any serious damage. Upon this we returned to our rooms and dressed ourselves, as sleep was entirely out of the question. Upon reassembling on the deck we learned the full extent of the disaster. The ship was sinking, and again the prayers, the groans, the adieus were repeated with renewed energy. At this time, seeing the critical state of affairs, Captain Leach had the ship headed towards the land and ordered the boats to be got ready. In an instant there was a rush on the part of the steerage passengers for the boats, which were filled by men even while they hung at the davits. The officers and sailors, under command of the captain, at once cleared the boats by striking without mercy the cowardly wretches who had sought to save themselves alone, and armed men were placed in sufficient numbers around each boat to prevent anyone getting possession. News was now brought up that the fires were out, and the situation was becoming precarious. Before the engines had ceased to work, the ship grounded with great force upon some sunken rocks, and remained as firmly on them as if she was on stocks. It was fortunate the sea was smooth, or else she would have gone to pieces. The captain ordered all the women and children into the boats, and after rowing about half a mile, we were landed on the shore in a place called Chance Cove. In due time the male passengers were brought off, and at early dawn the passengers, about seven hundred, were all on shore. We could see the elegant steamer stranded on the rocks, looking as if she were about to be launched, but her journeyings had ceased for ever, and she never left her cradle on the rocks until the storms of successive winters had broken her to fragments. At the time of the shipwreck, 
the early operations of the atlantic telegraph company were taking place and a small steamer belonging to the company was seen about twelve o'clock signals of distress were hoisted and guns fired and she finally bore down on us and took as many passengers as she could accommodate about seventy-five to st john's newfoundland it being impossible to take passage in her we were forced to remain in chance cove and provisions were brought from the ship and tents made out of the sails and we succeeded in making ourselves comparatively comfortable a fleet of wreckers surrounded the ship and all the male passengers were armed to repel attack for several nights we were much alarmed at the report of firearms and learned each morning that skirmishes were going on with these pirates and it needed all possible precautions to keep them at bay after a stay of four or five days we were taken off by small steamers chartered for the purpose and conveyed to st john's we remained a month here and as we had the good fortune to meet many kind relations and friends who dwelt there our time was passed very agreeably while we were in st john's a small french propeller came in one sunday morning very much disabled she was named the vesta and reported that she had struck a large steamer and being disabled had put into st john's her foremast was gone and her bows stove in on board her they did not know the extent of the damage the other steamer had sustained but we soon learned that it was the arctic of the collins line that had been run into and that out of five hundred and sixty passengers but thirty were saved mr collins the owner of the line and family being amongst the lost the survivors came in next day in a lifeboat and the tale they told was indeed a sad one one of them the purser of the arctic became insane from the horrors and suffering he had endured and had to be kept in close confinement after remaining a month in st john's we sailed for philadelphia in the osprey chartered by the inman line and at an expense of five hundred dollars a day and our first landing in america was at martha's vineyard where we put in for a few hours we were struck with the quaintness and beauty of the place and the civility of the inhabitants on the twenty first of october we landed at philadelphia and our trials were over i deem it proper to say at this time that the conduct of the inman company deserved unqualified admiration it is a common remark that corporations have no souls but this company is an admirable exception it treated all the passengers with the utmost courtesy and endeavored in every way to compensate them for the discomforts and losses by the accident paid for every pound of baggage lost and indeed paid everything with a lavishness and generosity rare to see we left philadelphia soon after for ithaca tompkins county new york state where we resided two years and then left for albany arriving on the day james buchanan was elected i have now come to the conclusion of my description of travels and incidents of a long life many incidents have occurred which while deeply affecting and serious in their nature were too sacred for publication if i have interested any of my readers i am well repaid and trust that the time i have occupied has not been considered as wasted i am sorry to inform my readers that i am now totally blind seeing neither sun nor moon nor stars but total darkness in the midst of noon the ending of this story is very pathetic cataracts had formed on my mother's eyes and for years before her death she was unable to see notwithstanding this affliction she was active and continued to be interested in charitable work she was passionately fond of music and a little girl attendant had a long list of her pieces which she would read off and the dear old lady would play from memory 
she never had an illness was a strong and vigorous woman with great mentality and force of character the following obituary notice published by the sunday press in eighteen eighty seven is an evidence that her good qualities were appreciated and her loss deplored in simple words it gives an idea of the characteristics of a remarkable woman she was absolutely unselfish generous to a fault devoted to her family and as good a mother as she had been a loving wife obituary maria hackett one of our best known and most highly esteemed old ladies passed away yesterday to the final reward of a life filled with good deeds and incessant efforts in behalf of her fellow creatures mrs hackett had reached the unusual age of eighty-two years and had entered upon the eighty-third with the same ambition and hopefulness of accomplishing more good that characterized her entire life she had for many years of late evinced a most remarkable activity exciting the wonder and admiration of all who came in contact with her she was possessed of a vast fund of reminiscences and several years since wrote for the sunday press a very interesting series of articles on life in australia in which country she passed a portion of her life she was warmly devoted to her religion and practised its precepts most rigidly it was a source of delightful pleasure to secure her company and listen to her recitals of experiences during her long and eventful life mrs hackett leaves two sons messrs edward f and theodore m to mourn her loss who will receive the sympathy of a widely extended circle of friends end of chapter seven